Good morning. Trust you know what it means to dwell in the secret place of the Most High and to feel the comfort of the shadow of the Almighty over our lives. And that takes, as Joe said, it takes trust in our class. It takes that understanding that God's way is the only way. It's the best way. It's the beautiful way. And so, yes, earlier in the few months ago, I found myself needing to take care of being in the home area another Sunday. And so Brother Jeff Hobbs had come on one of my calendar appointments. So that's why I'm here this morning. So Yesterday we laid another one of our sisters to rest there at Pike. She also happened to be one of my aunts on my father's side. And we last week laid my father's identical twin brother to rest as well. Between the two of them, we bid goodbye to 190 years plus life experience. And Ada was 92, Uncle Joe was 99 when he departed. And they both had sound, clear minds up till the last day or so before they died. Quite a testament of insights into life. There on the table in the basement for the funeral meal, there was a centerpiece put there. And then one of the ladies from church brought some oak twigs, twigs, branches, maybe would be a better term, that long. And they were loaded with acorns, large acorns. She went on to say that her brother had found them. There was a tree so heavily laden with those fruit that it broke down some of the branches. Now we think about that in peaches and orchards sometimes, but it just stood out to me. What a tremendous crop. And I had to relate it in two ways. I thought, well, maybe it's a harbinger of the winter to come. I don't know if you listen to the old timers. And on the other side... If God looks as, as he looks at us, what's on our branches? It's a process. And yet as you lay, lay brothers and sisters, dear ones, to rest, and you see the blessings of the fruit that was born only on the merits of Jesus Christ, we think how good God is. Amen. How good God is. So I come here this morning, and I thought I would share with you on a subject that I think is, is very important. I've, I've noticed with interest that how the congregation here seems to be enjoying life and flourishing. Now I know sometimes, like a man I met the other day at the visitation, I told him he looked quite well and he says well that's not what the doctor says he was 83 and he said the doctor says I'm about ready to have a heart attack 
So we know that sometimes just on the surface we don't see the full picture and it's only real that we share in, in the joys and sorrows of life in all of our areas, but God is good to us. But one of the key essentials I believe that we need to encourage each other in, in the life of us as believers and in our families and in the church setting, is the importance of not losing sight of the younger generation, teaching them what they need to prepare themselves for entering into godly courtship and, and laying that fa firm foundation that is so essential for a solid church to have homes that are, that are happy, joyful, and following the Lord, that know what it means to, to bless God. The aspect of the changes that, you know, it would be interesting to do a study around the world of the different changes that have come through the cultural generations in each country and each group, ethnic group and so forth. In our nation, where we find ourselves pilgrims here, there's been a series of labeling of generations. <laughs> and I don't have time to, to go into that, but I think I would, I would encourage you to think through what has happened since those of the age that we laid to rest recently until now, how we've come from one point to the other and how the, the world's culture in our nation has affected us as believers, as a body of Christ. A number of weeks ago, I was waiting in a auto repair shop waiting room and there were three other people there at that time and they were all looking at their cell phones like as if no one else existed in the room. And finally I didn't have a reason to be looking at mine and I could restrain myself no longer and I said, if I, I kind of enjoy relating to people, I said, and I said, if I had to guess, over half of you aren't from around here. Anyhow, that opened the water flood gates of conversation, and I don't have time to share all that. But in the process, another younger gentleman came in there uh, with, the, with a very jolly disposition, outward personality, and, and I inquired as to his background, and he had actually just been brought up there in that trailer court there by the fairgrounds entrance there close to the pike. He was a young immigrant, Hispanic. He counted how his parents had just gotten established and began to lay hold on what we would call the American dream. He's preparing to graduate from James Madison with an engineering degree and has a job contract with Merck Pharmaceuticals. And as that brief conversation slowed down, he said this, I'm really interested. He said, what do you think of the younger generation? Here is a young fellow, 23, 4 years old, and I thought this is, I don't know what all is behind this question, but this is not normal. He went on to say that he had been in a lecture or class where they were telling them about 
the, the effects, the elements of the different generations and culture and as we know it. And he said, they were telling us what we are supposed to be like. And he says, I hope I'm not that way. Very interesting perspective. I share that illustration just to remind us that we are all in a learning process. We are all from as we come into to experience life and grow up in our homes and families, we're all product of our environment, our learning. We can't, we can't take our cell phones, as it were, and lay our children's cell phones down beside and do a sync. We can't do a wireless sync and transfer everything over that we would like to convey. There is a sense in which we can with time. We, can, we have that potential to, to make that effort but that's not the case, and yet the scriptures set forth many things, and I want to just look just very briefly at some of the foundational principles and then some of the areas that we do well to encourage the younger generation in considering what goes into preparing to establish a godly home. Genesis chapter 2, just a couple of verses there. <clears throat> verses 20 through 24. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and he brought and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There, I think if I recall, there in the, in the Hebrew... Ish and Isha would be the man and the counterpart that was set forth. We recognize that element that is referred to in 24 of, of something that is being openly called into question in today's society and the lands in which we find ourselves as pilgrims here. Now I'd like to go to the New Testament setting in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 10, reflect on the words of Christ as he taught. I want to read the first nine verses here. And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto him again. And as, he want, and as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation... God made them male and female. 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Foundational elements that we take for granted. I won't take, I know time has a way of, of um, getting away so easily, but I want to invite you to go to the account in Genesis 24. And while we cannot make a direct application from this account, a beautiful account, there are some points that we can draw from it, I believe, that even in that culture and setting are still relevant today in finding God's will and seeking God's leading and experiencing the blessing of God upon our lives. This could merit the reading of all this a long passage of verses. I want to just refer to a few groupings of them. Here we have the account of, of Abraham sending his servant to find a wife for his son. And um, as we look at these verses, think about the miracle of the leading of God in it. The role of the angels that took part in that the place that God had in that decision, in that working out. The function of the servant. And also the response of the parents. And you will see in this, this account, there is a sense of reliance on the divine direction. And so... We can look and marvel at that account and think how beautiful. But can we expect to enter into life without expecting that divine direction and blessing and leading in our lives? And how can we help our young people come into life understanding that God's best comes through His gift of leading? beyond that of the flesh. Verses 10 through 26 I want to read here. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Naor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said... O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And he let it, and let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. 
And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Naor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. And she said, she said, Moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender, enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. Second passage I want to share from here is verse 36 through 50. I'm breaking in, I realize, but we can't take the time for all this. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old, and unto him hath he given all that he hath. And my master made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to, the, to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whom, whose land I dwell, but thou shalt go <clears throat> unto my father's house, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son. And I said unto my master, Peradventure the woman will not follow me. And he said unto me, The Lord, before whom I walk, will send his angel with thee, and prosper thy way, that thou shalt take a wife for my son of my kindred, and of my father's house. Then shalt thou be clear from this my oath. When thou comest to my kindred, and if they give not thee one, thou shalt be clear from my oath. And I came this day unto the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if thou now do prosper my way which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin cometh forth to draw water, and I say to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink. And she said to me, Both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out for my master's son. And before I had done speaking in mine heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down into the well and drew water. And I said unto her, Let me drink, I pray thee. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter art thou? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Naor's son, whose, whom Milcah bare unto him. And I put the earring upon her face and the bracelets upon her hands, and I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord. 
and blessed the Lord God and my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. And now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee, bad or good. You all know this account fairly well, I'm sure, are familiar, familiar with it. But I would again just remind you that behind all of our needs is, is the creation of God and our in the realm of marriage relationships, we need the distinct, clear understanding of seeking God's direction and blessing and doing so in a spirit of worship, in a spirit of trust. He says in verse 7, God will send His angel before thee. Verse 27 didn't read that verse, but it says, I being in the way the Lord led me. As we, each one of us, take our rightful place with the goal that the Lord be leading us, we can set forth an example to inspire the younger generation to seek that leading and blessing in their own life as well. He acknowledged the servant led, the servant acknowledged that he had been led in the right way. And then we see that acknowledgement of that thing proceeding from the Lord. Now there was a qualifier used there regarding, um, I'm just going to direct you there, I'm not going to take the time to go there, but there is a warning in Deuteronomy 7 there in the first four verses regarding those that they were to avoid um, taking as companions and marrying into uh, those of, of, you could say, not like faith. Those that believed in other gods. Those that would, as the scriptures there tell them, that would bring ruin, bring um, chaos into those unions. And so... That was set forth there in that setting. In the, in the writing to the Corinthians there in 2 Corinthians 6.14, we understand as well the, the danger of um, commingled faiths. The unequal yoke and the concept and result of that type of thing being considered. And so there's the principle of a warning of relationships with limited unity and relationships that perhaps began more on a personality, physical attraction basis primarily versus the other way around. Some of you may have been there, maybe quite a few actually may have been there, but I'm going to give a real quick story. How many of you remember I referred to something about someone I met on our farm at the ordination service, I believe? How many of you heard that? Some, quite a few, quite a few, okay. I'll just refer back to that. 
There was a man, a young man, that our paths crossed in that setting. And I just offered him a word of encouragement. And then he, I can tell you more of the rest of the story this morning. He alluded to the fact that, yes, he knew some of those principles. His grandmother was a Mennonite, is what he answered me. At that point, he didn't know who I was other than a man out in the dark. But through further connections and so forth, I come to realize his grandmother came out of Franklin, West Virginia, into the Mennonite church. She was a member at Peak. She's buried at Raleigh Springs. And for whatever reason, he was one that probably didn't have all the encouragement and the blessings, even though he knew his grandmother wanted them to be in the right way. But you and I here, for the most part, many of us have been encouraged and, and, and shown in many ways beyond the majority of proper ways to find yourself in the will of God. So I remind you of that setting and that situation, and um, if nothing more, may it cause you to count your blessings, to reflect on what you take for granted so often. Proverbs 19:14 says, "Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord." That proverb, again, reminds us that we, whether it's the wife or the husband, those that come to that point in life that come together, if there is not the hand of God in that heart and life as they come together, they will miss so much. And blessing each other and honoring the Lord in that. And that is something that can only come through young people who have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and are excited to entrust their lives into the care and direction of His leading and Holy Spirit. Another evidence of God's hand in forming circumspect conduct. In the previous proverb there in 18.22, it speaks of him that findeth a virtuous woman, findeth a good thing. Those two proverbs are perhaps on one side. Let's go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. to read the first seven verses. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, 
even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who hath set, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. I hadn't noted that last verse I read there, but I wanted to include it because <clears throat> it speaks, verse 8 speaks of how we reflect on the previous verses. The, the credibility we give to them, the, are we committed to them? Are we going to honor them or are we going to write them off? Well, that's what God says here, but I... But he's saying, he therefore that despiseth. Now that's a word that's used on another occasion in, in um, Luke chapter 10. And let's just turn there very briefly. But the attitude of our hearts toward the hand of God is so important. Luke 10 verse 16. Jesus said, He that heareth you, heareth me, and he that despiseth you, despiseth me, and he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. And so, when we are encouraged, exhorted by the Word of God, given direction, we need to take it seriously. And, and even how much more, when we find ourselves in the midst of a culture and it, that is waging the warfare, fair, warfare of each man for himself and the carnality that is around us in this area of life. So I, I would encourage us to think uh, about the importance of a home being built on a firm foundation that is these areas are kept and held sacred and honored with an intensity worthy their cause uh, of a proper view of one's companion, a proper function of our sexuality. And there are so many ways in the world today that, that men are defrauding not only their brothers, but others throughout the world. So young people, may God give you wisdom in those areas. I want to look at here in the remaining time I have, thinking about godly courtship. You know, not times do change. I'm not sure if I was an oddball or not, but I didn't have to be encouraged to think about finding a wife. I kind of thought it was something that seemed all good to me. <laughs> but our culture's impact has, has had some change. But I think we do need to ask ourselves whether we're inclined to or inclined maybe not to. What should motivate us to pursue that? What's the motivation behind seeking someone to relate to in a special friendship? Someone to date. I know the courtship and dating words can be discerned differently, but I'm, I'm, I hope you understand my heart this morning.
I would suggest first and foremost that for young people in that endeavor or wherever we find ourselves in life, whoever's seeking a companion, that the one requirement should be that it should be to please God. It should have the goal of being able to honor God. It should be to find a marriage partner not to, in, in God's will, not to rescue someone from some broken relationship with their parents. You know, as I look back over my short lifetime, I, I see many couples that have came through strained relationships. Relationships with their parents that manifested rebellion and heartache and and so they, they were quick to find some avenue of escape, thinking it was the right way to go. And yet they were not mature in their faith, nor committed to the leading of God on the principles of direction of the authorities over you. The, in, the input of your parents is, is crucial. I know that there will be times in which we as parents have and will make mistakes in, in counseling or whatever, but by and large, parents have the best interest of their children at heart. And so be open to that, that input. There are very possibility that those that rush to that process may not be ready. Um, there may be those that are struggling with other areas of, of failure in their lives, and they are not necessarily going to find victory through entering into that relationship have they not been able to overcome their issues in their personal life. Sometimes there's this thought that, well, my struggles will go away once I have a wife. Marriage is a beautiful thing, but dear ones, it's a process of refinement. It's refining. It's to be refining on the man, on the woman. It's to make us more like Christ. It's an act of service if it's to be a blessing. Another reason that should motivate us to pursue a companion in courtship is that element that I just referred to, companionship. Companionship. We are creatures, some more, some less, but we need relationship. We need social interaction. And one, a companion that has added abilities of cooking and whatever else we're blessed by as husbands is icing on the cake. And likewise, the many things that God equips us to offer in those relationships should be something we do in the fear of God as well. What are those things that should motivate that pursuit? Another question, when can you determine that they are ready to enter into that? Uh, one aspect I referred to in the previous points was that it had to do with finding victory, being overcoming in your own Christian walk. Personal uh, victory, purity, a life of purity. 
But I'd like to begin on this question with an answer, first answer, that of a growing relationship with God. A growing relationship with God. Somebody that's pursuing God. We understand that's not all going to be at a mature stage in certain respects, and yet there's a pursuit, a joy in pursuing God that is there that needs to be coming forth. And in that pursuit of God, that relationship with God, there is a manifestation of maturity, of respect, and appreciation for all generations, young and old. I encourage you parents, as you rear your families, and I'm not saying you aren't, but your little ones from little up, encourage them to be gracious, to know what it means to shake hands with those they don't know that well or maybe... You know, encourage them to grow in that. Take them to the nursing homes. Help them to understand the broader spectrum of life. Take them to the funerals in your congregation. Let them stand by the open grave. They come to understand more. And of course, we as parents and grandparents have the privilege of cultivating those relationships that that allow them to have insights. They can't do a complete sync, but they can draw memories, lessons, stories that were instrumental in forming our understanding of what it means to follow God. Proverbs 31 Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. One of the things that really truly grieves my heart in society about us is that there is such a low level of trust. In the arena of male-female relationships, there is very low trust. There is very low confidence of finding, and I'm glad for the blessings we have in our churches, but they are only as good as our commitment to God. And they will only endure as long as our commitment endures to God. To find virtue, to find trustworthiness, to find Something that is a beautiful complement one to the other is a beautiful picture. And that needs to be there. At least, maybe not in full bloom, but at least in full bud of the person that is showing the ability to have a disciplined life, a trustworthy life, rather than someone that fathers look and say, well, should I trust? my daughter to spend time with him or vice versa. Do you understand what I'm saying? A person who has understands what it means to be submissive to authority, not just tolerating, not just enduring, 
not just under the aspect that, under the understanding that when, well, if I can just get married, all my troubles will be done with. It's a very delusional perspective. And yet sometimes young people can, can think in those ways that authority melts away. And yet entering in, as I said, it's a refining process that makes us even more accountable. I think our young ones should be encouraged to understand a biblical concept of love manifested in selfless service to others' needs. One of the blessings in the, the conservative churches is that atmosphere where sometimes young people in their younger years are able to go and serve voluntary service or in a setting that's different than their local work. They may not get paid for it or whatever, but they learn to serve and to be okay with that and to relate to other authorities and to be molded and made into a, a well-rounded person, if you would understand what I'm saying, that, that has something to bring to a relationship in a positive way. A young person that's ready for marriage is one who has developed a sense of responsibility in life, in their patterns of study academically, in their job settings, their work. They understand that they've come to that and developed it from the input and counsel of others that the authorities in their lives. They understand that working precedes Working in, and let me say it this way, working and saving precedes buying. The concept of financial stability and blessing and God's direction and how we use what He has given to us. Work precedes relaxation. Mistakes call for restitution. Problems call for solutions. Privileges call for trustworthiness. It goes back to... I remember calling minister in a distant state regarding a relationship with a, a person. And um, he said this to me. He said, I've dreaded the day when a father called me to ask me about if his daughter should date this man. There was a lack, there was a need for more growth, more sense of responsibility, more ability to discipline and provide and take care of what you have. Thankfully, there are many that are very much prepared in that regard. Our time is almost gone. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A beautiful picture of how to proceed and enter into those relationships 
the Spirit of the Lord leading us. The soul. Coming to a understanding of person and makeup and interest and abilities and so forth. And then ultimately in marriage being consummated in that physical relationship of becoming one flesh. And yet as we drive up and down the highways, we see <clears throat> many of the signs of the shipwreck of traveling the other direction. And sadly, they never get to the Spirit many times. Dear ones, young and old this morning, the pursuit of God's grace and His Spirit's leading, I think, is the key element to leading us on a sure and safe path and providing firm foundations of faith for our future families. Now, some of you here this morning, if I would ask you, you say you're not ready to date. You're not old enough yet. But what you're learning here as young people this morning is forming your perspective and your understanding in how you will go about making and approaching those decisions should the Lord tarry. So may God bless you as you want to serve in His kingdom and be a blessing to Him. Ooh. Mm -hmm.